Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, probably Locked On Podcast Network. Today is our host, Evan Sider. I'm joined by co host Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Sider. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at Brennan Clean 14. You also follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page on array at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support there is very much appreciated as always. And we have a very special guest for you guys today. If you guys are frequent visitors of the Bright Side of the Sun or you listen to any Suns podcast there, you probably know who this guy is. Greg Esposito, also known as Espo on Suns Twitter. How are you doing today, Espo? I'm good. I, I I don't know if everybody knows me. I'd, I'd feel pretty sad for everybody if they uh, had any clue who I am. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to be talking Suns with you guys. Oh, absolutely. Thanks again for coming on. Appreciate you joining us tonight's episode. And we have an interesting one for you guys today. We're going to talk a little bit in depth about the offseason and talking about also the owner of this team, Robert Server, and Espo's a former employee of the team. So I think it was fun to get his inside thoughts on just the organization as a whole and the changes they made this offseason. So Espo, let me start off with this. Just what do you think is different this time around for Robert Server? Because we've seen now compared to years past, we I mean, you can go back to Lon Babby and Lance Blakes, Ryan McDonough, who I don't think had really much autonomy at all as far as moves go. But it seems like the total opposite's happening now with James Jones. What's your thoughts and from afar between that relationship between James Jones and Robert Sarver and the differences maybe over the years of Robert Sarver? Uh, quite frankly, I don't know that uh, I'm willing to say anything is different yet. Uh, we saw the first summer with Ryan McDonough. He had some autonomy. That was when he traded for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, he brought in uh, – he was part of the group that brought in Jeff Hornacek uh, at that offseason. Uh, so I, I, I'm holding my judgment on how far – things have changed until we get into this season and see how he reacts to things, how he handles certain situations. There's that old great saying by Mike Tyson that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then, uh, then we really see how things happen. I want to know what happens after that first time this team loses by 20 points, the Sarver storm into the coach's locker room, try to give, uh, advice or his opinion or, or all these things that he's been known for, or does he truly take that step back? Does he trust Monty Williams? Does he trust James Jones? Does he believe uh, in this group, uh, Jeff Bauer included, and and take that step back? Until we see it, until we get into, into the season, we see some moves made. Right now it's a honeymoon phase, and I'm not, I'm not willing to say – He's changed or he hasn't. I just don't know yet. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think a lot of the a lot of the discussion is of everything we're going to get into today and just kind of the layers of what's going on higher up in this franchise. They're all kind of interconnected. And so I, I want to ask about uh, one, one thing that jumped out to me as maybe a signal of, of a little bit more freedom on the part of this new brain trust. Uh, but as you said, you look back and, and I think it's not even just in the Suns organization, but just in general, I think human nature is to give a new person doing a job, the freedom to do the job as they see. And that freedom wanes as, as they do poorly or as you perceive them to be doing poorly at their job. So Ryan McDonough got less and less and, and then was fired abruptly. So maybe whatever happened this summer isn't going to tell us anything. But the coaching staff is what I'm talking about. I was really surprised. It was something that I kind of geeked out about all summer as we saw Monty Williams put together his staff very much uh, unlike, I think it's fair to say, what, what the staffs have looked like here, at least in the, in the recent past. 
you know, the head coach is one thing, getting an experienced guy there. But Williams really, he, he reached from every pocket of the NBA that he has been a part of, several different organizations that he's come through and uh, guys of all different backgrounds and ages and experiences came. Uh, I don't know how much they're getting paid. I don't think we'll ever know. But those guys didn't just come for a bargain. It really feels like he was able to put that staff together. Does that does that stand out to you as something that could be a sign of, of promise uh, compared with the last few coaches? Yes. I mean, when you look at it, you, we, we for sure know that Monty Williams is the most uh, experienced head coach that Robert Sarver's hired since Alvin Gentry. I don't really count Alvin because uh, it wasn't as if they went out and and did a huge search for Alvin. He was on the staff here. So, uh, so really, this is the first time they've hired a truly experienced head coach uh, under the Robert Sarver regime. So I do give him credit for that. Uh, we, we imagine he had to open up that wallet to, to get Monty Williams to come here, especially when you consider that the Lakers were in hot pursuit of him as well. So, uh, so I do give him credit for that. That is something that we have not seen. And that's why I'm willing to, uh, you know, kind of buy into the fact that this may be a different Robert Sarver, at least uh, he's trying to do something different than he has in the past. And maybe that means that James Jones does in fact uh, have the ear of Robert Sarver. I know that, uh, that Sarver was a big fan of his when he played here. Uh, I know in the past that Robert Sarver had, uh, has had better relationships with players than, than necessarily front office staff. So maybe this is a relationship that since he knew James here before, there is, uh, there is a monicum of trust that wasn't there previously. But in the end, it's still a general manager who was hired with very little uh, experience uh, and kind of played out the way that the coaching staff had in the past where he was hired under the staff kind of uh, you know some would argue maybe even undermined his previous boss and then gets uh, gets the promotion here so that part isn't different but what they've been able to accomplish by getting Monty Williams gives me uh, hope that this is changing I think the surprising move of the offseason, outside of all the roster changes they made, I suppose, was that coaching change going from Eric Koshkov to Monty Williams. I know people heard your reactions probably back then on the solar panel, but I think Brent and I were recording a podcast at the time at Kellen Olsen that unfortunately got scratched because we are in the middle of it and that news broke, and it kind of broke on Twitter for a few days. What was your reaction to that? And then we also heard about, like Brennan was alluding to there, Monty Williams, we don't know the exact details on his contract, but Adrian Wojnarowski mentioned, I think, back then that he got a lucrative contract as far as his son's payments go. What, what was your thoughts on the Igor to Monty transition? Well, uh, initially when they let Igor go, uh, I, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan. I, I get that you don't want consistency just for consistency's sake, but when, when we were sitting there, there wasn't a whole lot of rumblings that it would be uh, Monty Williams. I, and, and I was kind of the mindset that if you're letting Igor go, you better know who you're getting and uh, and it better be somebody uh, of a much better ilk than a assistant coach who's becoming a head coach for the first time. So I was skeptical, but they did. They came up big, and I was very excited with the Monty Williams hire. I still am 
uh, to this day. Uh, I think it's exactly what this young core needs, uh, the kind of thing that could catapult them from uh, being a meandering uh, franchise to one on the cusp of doing something uh, fairly special if, if these guys can can grow, in particular Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, if Monty Williams can get the most out of them, uh, it, it's very exciting. So I, th- that hasn't waned since the, the hiring of Monty Williams. I am, I am very uh, intrigued to see what he brings and, and the discipline he brings with, this, uh, with these young guys and then what he can get out of these veterans that they've added this offseason as well. Yeah, I think it's funny. Uh, one of the things that's been tough as we kind of try to read the tea leaves of James Jones' first summer at the helm of the, at the helm of this franchise is how quiet he's been. You know, it's it's not a not a front office thus far that is leaking and sharing every little move that it makes or or thought that jumps into one of these guys' brains by any means. It's, it's been very quiet, um, but. I think it's fair to say uh, for sure that, um, you know, we've, we've all talked about it. James Jones executed a plan, had a plan. Um, you know, Monty, another guy that I think sees eye to eye with that. Um, but as much as we can try to guess, we're going to close the show later on talking about like what success really means for this team this season? And I think that's an interesting question. But more specifically with this conversation, what do you think, Espo, necessarily can be a signal? Like, to, what, what kind of benchmark do you think Jones has to meet that, that others haven't in the past? Do you think it, it just comes down to what their relationship already looks like? Or do you think we're, we could see a similar uh, falling out if Jones doesn't, take a jump. It's been hard for me to read over the years what exactly ownership is looking for from these guys who, who aren't cutting it. It's hard to know what it is. What are they, how are they not cutting it? You know, that's, that's been tough. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think that's part of the problem is that, uh, and I say this with all due respect, but Robert Sarver isn't a man that necessarily uh, has a very uh, well thought out plan that he's sticking to. He's very much a guy that that you know makes decisions based on feeling and gut and and kind of where he is at the moment. So I, I don't know that there is necessarily a defined. Uh, if James Jones does X, then this is this is going to be a, a easy relationship. Uh, I think it comes down to if James Jones can win and win early, show progress fast, he's going to be fine. It's it's if. He, he comes into this plan and it doesn't work this first year with the veteran mix. And then he's like, well, maybe we need to go back to draft a little bit. It's, it's when you don't see results and you don't see them fairly quickly that Robert Sarver can become uh, impatient with things. And I think that the downfall of what happened with Ryan McDonough was this simple. That first year was a total – aberration like it was just nobody expected it it was a fluke to be honest and and it got it expedited this entire you know timeline if we want to go back to that uh (laughs) that that was unrealistic so they ground gears to try to make robert sarver happy and and 
feed into this false sense of we have something here and that led to uh, you know everything it led it led to Isaiah Thomas it led to the three guards it led to that uh, that whole falling out and then really i think McDonough we saw what he wanted to do uh, all along was try to build through that draft understanding that you know you weren't going to attract necessarily a large uh, a large name here in Phoenix but i think they kept going after them just to placate uh, Robert Sarver to make him feel like okay well something's happening here while they were really trying to build through through the draft and we all know the track record we all know how uh, how hit or miss those drafts were and, and more in the miss column than than the hit and I think that's what what really it just all kind of spiraled out of control after that 48 win season so uh it's all about if James Jones' plan uh, works this year and they get moving in the right direction, things will be okay. But it, it's if there's just little things can throw this all off. It's not a logical thing. It's not. It's not necessarily. Uh, it's not easy to explain. Having been in that building, having witnessed it, things can change on a dime really quickly without any real warning as to why uh, somebody at the top changed their mind. We're going to dive even deeper into this conversation with Espo here in just a second, but I want to tell everyone really quickly about our sponsor today's show, which is Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, to get started. All right, Espo, let's dive a little bit into – you're getting into it a little bit in your last answer there, but I'm curious to your thoughts on this because you saw a little bit of it up close. Just what was the experience of, like – I mean, from what I've heard myself, that Ryan Madonna was – from his first season there, the original goal was to get the number one pick and pair of Benson was done Booker and just tanked to get that, and they had to continue on that aberration of a season 2015 and kind of just threw off the entire plan. What was your thoughts on the tanking over the last three or four years of the McDonough era before he was eventually fired, Chooks for the season started? And did that really rub as far as the locker room goes? I mean, it just seemed like from the top down in the organization, the tanking kind of took its effects on the team. And I think with James Jones, I has mentioned it multiple times that the tanking is done. But what was your thoughts on just the tanking experiment? Oh, sorry. I was riding my Peloton. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me. No, uh, yeah, no, I – I, I remember having a conversation with Ryan McDonough my first season, or actually his first season with the team, uh, and talking to him about what his philosophy was. And having come from Boston and being part of uh, that group that flipped the, those young uh, assets, those draft picks for KG and Ray Allen and winning a championship that way, I, I mean, I was of the belief that that was really – the route that Ryan McDonough wanted to go from, from word one. And they happened to stumble into what turned out to be uh, a, a crazy chemistry experiment in that 48 win season. They happened to have some really great guys that happened to connect chemistry wise. And it, and it kind of threw that plan off. I have no problem with tanking based on the way that the NBA uh, and, and, definitely before the, the change in the lottery this past year, the way the NBA was set up. I mean, to be frank, it was set up to to reward teams that were willing 
to go that route. And we've seen what Philadelphia and the fruits of, of their uh, their labor in tanking uh, bore for them. I don't have a problem with the thought process. Uh, the problem came where who you drafted. I mean, that's obviously a major issue there. If you don't draft well when you tank, uh, that causes problems. Although I'd argue that, you know, when you look at, at the record, they weren't that far off of uh, of what Philly did. They just didn't have as much lottery luck as, as the 76ers did in terms of where those ping pong balls landed. Uh, but I don't necessarily have uh, a, a problem with with it. When I look at it, and I look at it holistically, if the Suns win with a core of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, uh, and, and Mikael Bridges for that ar- for argument's sake there as well, you're not going to be able to deny the impact that Ryan McDonough and that uh, and that time with uh, tanking actually had on this franchise because those are two key pieces that came out of the Ryan McDonough era, whether you like it or not, and if they're part of, if they're if they're the cornerstones of the next great Suns team, then his uh, his entire era was validated by those two picks, and uh, and it's not a popular thing to say, but I will uh, I will stand on that island and uh, and bang that drum because I I truly believe that that's the case, and sometimes you know we saw it here for decades with the Suns. It was never rebuild; it was reload, right? And it it, it got you you know, better than where they've been the last decade, but it didn't get you a championship. Now, if uh, if these last 10 years uh, were something that turns into the first title here in Phoenix, it's well worth it. You suffer for 10 years to get get to the top of the mountain. Now, if, if this continues, then it definitely wasn't worth it, but I don't have any problem with the, with the strategy and trying to to get the uh, the pieces to win a championship here. So one of the things that, no, it didn't get swept under the rug. I think it was uh, thoroughly discussed at the time, but happened so early in the summer um, was the departure of Aaron Nelson, uh, which just really felt like a, if, if, if maybe just for the way we all kind of as fans and followers get attached and nostalgic about things felt, felt pretty momentous. And uh you know, even before that, you have the stadium renovations happening. The building will, will start to look a lot different. They're opening a practice facility for the first time. Uh, James Jones, of course, taking over. New head coach Devin Booker starting his second contract here and uh, having a season that really made a, a lot of people, if for some the wrong reasons, turn their heads this this side of the country down to Phoenix. Um, it It's not necessarily... Uh, the most momentous summer in franchise history, seeing as how they're coming out of a season where they won 19 games. But did, did this kind of feel like more of a changing of a of the guard, more of a, a real sea change here to you uh, than anything in, in recent, you know, maybe the McDonough era? It felt like there was just a lot of change this summer, bigger than just hiring a new coach and general manager, because unfortunately that is pretty common at this point. Yeah, I mean, some of it was was certainly necessary, but there is no denying now that this is 100% a franchise in in Robert Sarver's image. This is his team. This is his organization now. Uh, when you look at Aaron Nelson, he was one of the few uh, ties left to 
the Colangelo era, the seven seconds or less era. I mean, there's not much left from that time. And now the arena won't even be the same. It, it, we're talking, this will completely be Robert Server's uh, franchise. And At know, least they still have the purple. The Diamondbacks got rid of the purple. Let's just keep that. Well, let's, let's be honest. There was a time uh, early in the... Uh, in this decade where that was even uh, in question as to whether it was here. I I actually was in many a meeting where we argued about where was the purple and why was it going away and can we get it back? And we were told uh, numerous times, no, until finally the dam broke and we, uh, we got the purple back on the court uh, and it was more of an emphasis on the home jerseys. I mean, there was, there was an era even then where it was black and orange and white were the, were the primary colors outside of the road jersey so so don't forget that too but uh yeah so uh, i think this is a a seismic off season this is this is kind of the make or break point where we see can this team turn it around or will they perpetually be uh bottom feeders this is this is this is the off season that leads to uh, the biggest season of devin booker's career he has to prove that he's a max guy DeAndre Ayton has to prove that he was worthy of that number one pick, that he can become more than just a, a guy who can score around the rim. He, he has to prove he can play on the defensive end. He has to show some of that range. He has to, you know, Monty Williams has to get him more involved uh, in the offense. Uh, there, James Jones has to prove that he's capable of, uh, of running a franchise. And, and because last year, I mean, let's be honest, he sat on his hands. Uh, for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the uh, you know the season until right around the deadline, and he never really addressed the point guard situation uh, until this off season. People say, "Oh, Tyler Johnson," that wasn't really addressing the point guard situation. It wasn't long term. He made a lot of moves that were, "Let's just get to the off season and then see if I have this job." long term uh, so he has to prove he can he can really run the show i mean this is this is a huge huge season it's the the foundation of what we're going to look at for the next five ten years uh of the franchise and we know where they've been the last 10 and uh they've got uh, quite a a steep hill to climb now uh the arena stuff's exciting i mean the practice facility should make them uh competitive and in free agency, I mean that's something that I had heard for years. Uh, when people would visit, they would be like, "Okay, this is ridiculous. This whole setup uh, and practice situation in arena is is not a palatable situation." So, the uh, basement practice facility or basement yep. practice court is not much. Uh, yeah, not much to shout about. No, I mean, and, and you know, the, most teams have uh, have facilities near where the players live. Uh, this will be the case now once the Suns open open the practice facility. This is the start of uh, of what should be something bigger for the Suns, something special. This should be the start uh, of momentum that leads them into being a good team by the time the renovated arena comes out and I'm sure they'll have numerous other things up their sleeve that first year that the, that the new arena uh, is, is unveiled, uh, the renovated arena. So this should be the foundation of something special. And, and that's why this feels so different than, than other off seasons. There's a lot in place now 
that if you tend to be an optimistic person should get you extremely excited. If you tend to be on the pessimistic side, you're probably looking at going, well, there's just a lot of things that could go wrong in all this. Uh, I'm somewhere in between right now. I'm in a, in a wait and see mode. I'm, I'm excited uh, deep down, but hesitant because I feel like we've, uh, We've all gotten excited uh, numerous times over the last decade and have been rewarded with uh, a punch in the gut for it. I'm curious to your thoughts on this, Espa, because the, the closer we get to the season, it's crazy. We're only a couple weeks out now as far as media day goes in the preseason action. But I really am wondering, like, the next two or three years, you're kind of getting out on your last answer there. Is this the most important next few two or three seasons for the Phoenix Suns that we've seen in almost a decade here? Because if things do go wrong, if the pessimistic side does win out here and and they don't improve much at all. I mean, Devin Booker's entering his, his max contract now. Player empowerment's at an all-time high. I know people don't want to talk about that much, but if things go wrong here, there might be a lot of change happening on the roster as well within the next few years. Just how big is it for this team just doing this whole overhaul in the summer now? You get all the pieces in place to surround Booker and surround DeAndre Ayton. If things do – just how important is it for it to go right the next two or three seasons for this team? Because I think it's at the utmost important. It, it is immensely – important because you were at that tipping point where you could be what the Clippers were to uh, to the 90s uh, if you're not careful. You could wind up falling into that uh, perpetual laughing stock category here if you don't figure out how to turn it around. You could wind up uh, as you uh, insinuated there that uh, Devin Booker could want out at that point and that uh, if, if things don't turn around in the next season or two. I mean, I've heard that, uh, you know, his, his agent and, and him are, are very, are watching the situation very closely uh, in Phoenix. And I think they expect that, that they need things to, to start to turn around. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is about as important as it gets. You're, I think fans are at that point where uh Anger turns to apathy at some point, and I think we're inching towards that. If if they have another season or two towards the bottom of the West, you know, 40, 50 years of, of goodwill in this town it turns to uh, nothing more than, oh, yeah, I remember the Suns used to be good. Uh, so they have to capitalize soon. They got lucky. I mean, there hasn't been anybody in this town that's really had, uh, you know, a, a fantastic run uh, over the last handful uh, of years, so they still have have room here. I mean, if the Coyotes had uh, had gone on long playoff runs, they could have captured some of uh, of the Suns' momentum. If the Diamondbacks or Cardinals had had uh, any sustained runs, uh, they could have taken a lot of the goodwill. But Suns fans are growing getting past the point of impatience and, uh, and they need to see something in the next few years. Yeah. I know a lot of people listen to it because uh, it did really well for ESPN, but that the, uh, the Donald Sterling podcast really put into perspective uh, how bad things can get. I don't think the Suns are anywhere near that, but um, it, it does just go to show that the further you dig yourself, the longer it takes to get out of it. And, taking advantage when you have superstars like Devin Booker and, and like we think DeAndre Ayton can be is, is of the utmost importance. It's interesting that you kind of talked about the fan attention span or passion and what the you know, losing can do to that. Uh, the Suns were, were not 
very high in attendance last year, despite, I think I would agree, a, a high level of, of interest still for the level of winning that they're doing. But 29th on average attendance, which average attendance kind of sucks because different arenas are different sizes, but mm. um, not great last year. So getting out of that, I think, would, would even be a bigger sign of a, of a different sort of era for the Suns, uh, and, and I think fans are ready for it, right? So we'll see. We will take a quick break here and then come back and talk about, as I said, what success is. Like, what, what is the season for? It's not probably a playoff season, but what can it mean for the team? So before we do that, I want to remind you guys to check out the Locked on NBA show, the national show on our network, if you're not already. A lot of FIBA coverage winding down, of course, now. Got to hear a bunch about Ricky Rubio, if you checked out that show, who just won FIBA MVP for the World Cup. Uh, and, of course, season preview coverage, so go subscribe to their show. And if you're not already, subscribe to our show. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It supports us. And uh, as I said before, go support the network as well. So... I don't know where you are, I suppose, as far as wins for this season. I don't know if you're a guy who predicts exact records or anything like that necessarily or how tightly you hold on to that. I feel like we did our preview show and I forgot exactly one day later what number I even said. <laughs> but what do you think success looks like? I'll just give you the broad question. You can go wherever you want to go with it. Well, look, in terms of wins, I've stood pretty – uh, firmly on 32 to 35, I think is the range that they, that they wind up in. Uh, if everything goes right, it wouldn't shock me if they, they hit the 40 mark. Uh, I mean, but that's everything chemistry clicks, no injuries, Devin Booker and, and Deandre Ayton progress the way that we think. Uh, but I also could see a world where they're 25 wins if, uh, injury bug strikes in particular with Devin Booker again. And, uh, and chemistry isn't what we expect, I could see it fall that way. But I really think 32 to 35 is where they net out. And and to me, that is success when you look at it and where they've been. We just need to see improvement. We need to see momentum. We need to see something like the Kings experience last year where they took that step. No longer were they tanking. No longer were they a bottom feeder. They were a team that, uh, you know, at least for part of the season was in the hunt uh, and, and were competitive. We have not seen truly competitive basketball uh, in years now. I mean, since that 48 win season that we talked about, and that's what I need to see out of this Suns team. Gutsy play, competitive play, not getting blown out by, you know, 40, 40 points and, and any game this year would be uh, would be a big win. I I need to see that progress, and I need to see what Monty Williams is capable of. Look, we have not seen him be a head coach in five years in this league, and that's a lifetime. Let's be honest; things change a lot. We've seen offensive strategies change. The way uh, you play rotations change. The the kind of lineups that you put out there. So. Uh, you know, there's there's questions there, and, and we need to see how Monty adapts to to the current uh, NBA landscape. Uh, so if if I see a team that that's competitive, that's in in most of these games, that can get in that uh, mid thirty win range, 
we've had a, a really successful season. And we saw a lot of national media this summer go, well, what's the point in spending money and doing this if you're only going to get us to 35 wins? And the point is you have to start somewhere, right? You don't go from the outhouse to the penthouse uh, in one swing. It usually takes progression. It's, a st- it's, a, uh, you know, it's, it's like stairs. There's, a, there's steps that you take up, uh, and the Suns need to take a few steps up that staircase this offseason, and then hopefully next year uh, legitimately compete for that eighth, seventh, eighth spot in the Western Conference. That's, I need this to be the transition year, the year that you go, finally, this makes sense. Finally, these guys click. Finally, there is an NBA roster around Devin Booker that, that we, can, we can see how it makes sense. That's what success is this year for me. Espo, did you like the moves the Suns made this offseason? Because I know Burn and I on draft night, we had some pretty raw reactions in the moment as far as their moves on draft night went with Cam Johnson and then that trade with Ty Jerome and Aaron Baines. But I've warmed up to it since then a little bit, as has Brendan. But any other moves as well, like Ricky Rubio, Dario Sarge as well in that trade on draft night, going down from 6 to 11, reworking the bottom of the roster with guys like Kaminsky and Diallo. What's your overall opinion of the moves that James Jones made this offseason? I think if you look at them in a vacuum, uh, there were confusing moves. I mean, I think collectively the the draft night moves uh, and the day before that, getting rid of T.J. Warren for what amounted to cash and and all, all these things didn't make sense at the time. But when you saw what they did with that money and bringing in Ricky Rubio, and I know people uh, in particular, again, national We'll be like, well, Rookie Rubio's not that great. You overpaid, yada, yada. Well, uh, you know what? When you've been as bad as the Suns have, have been, you have to pay a bit of a tax to get a guy that's a sought-after asset. And, and I think Ricky Rubio will do wonders for this team and for Devin Booker in particular. So when you saw that that was who they were going to sp- use that money on, it made sense. When you look at the power forward position and what James Jones did – uh, in that draft night trade, uh, in, and then signing Frank Kaminsky, you go, okay, well, he got an asset in Sarich that was probably uh, undervalued based on what happened last season when you look at what he had done with the 76ers uh, previous to being in Minnesota. Uh, so he got a guy there that was probably undervalued that isn't a high risk because – uh, if you want to, you can walk away after this season, but you have control as well uh, if you decide that, that Sarge is at least in part uh, part of the answer at power forward. So you give yourself flexibility. Kaminsky, great great flyer there. If this guy uh, finds what made him the, the number nine pick overall uh, in that same year Devin Booker went, then you've got a steal there as well, and you can never have enough shooting. And then I look at the draft and I go, these guys fit the mold of the kind of people that James Jones wants in this organization. High basketball IQ has have been in winning situations uh, are not going to come in and be uh, irresponsible both on or off the court, which the sons have dealt with a lot with these young guys that they've had. So in totality, I like the moves that, that they made. They make a lot of sense. This is a better team from top to bottom than they've had in years. Uh, it, it gives a real structure around Devin Booker and, and what 
what this offseason does is if Booker and Aiton don't blossom, it's as much on them as it is on anything else. There's not excuses now. You have a veteran head coach. You have guys around them that are NBA quality. There, The time for excuses is now gone, and that's a big reason why I like the moves uh, overall this offseason. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I know a lot of fans have been talking. uh, I don't buy into it, but just the kind of what we were talking about before when you said that you don't jump from the bottom to the top. And I agree with you. I mean, that's you can never expect to do that, but there are teams who do it. And I think just the desperation of so much losing has made fans want to believe that that's how it will happen for the Suns. I don't think so. And I don't think that their plans this summer were really intended to to, to lead to a, a massive leap like that. It wasn't a, uh, it just wasn't that kind of thing. So I think that that small steps forward and I guess just I get execution is not quite the right word, but I think individual players meeting individual components of the organization, I think is an even better way to put it kind of meeting their goals uh, and their progressing throughout the season. That's including Jones and Williams and the players and uh, kind of top to bottom, just having a season go well, like that I think is, is a realistic hope if you're a fan of this team is just to have a coach succeed, to have the players take steps forward, to have the GM orchestrate behind the scenes in a way that leads to better success on the roster and and the culture and the day-to-day program. So those things are harder to see too, right? But I think that's really what the, the goal should be here because it's just been such a long time, probably since 2013, 14, that that happened, that there was a just a, a successful year for all the components of an organization between firings and, uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe and Markeith Morris having their tantrums in a couple of different of those seasons in the past few years. There just hasn't been any sort of stability. So, Well, yeah, and the, the bar isn't exactly very high here to, to show success in this year. Let's, let's, not, uh, let's not kid ourselves. It's basically – don't trip over yourselves. Don't cause any uh, undue uh, drama and crazy situations uh, by upsetting a player or having something crazy happen off the court. If, if this is a relatively quiet season in terms of those things, it should be viewed as, as a success. And, and the other thing James Jones did quite nicely is he set himself up for a potential big move if somebody becomes available uh, in particular at that power forward spot because Tyler Johnson's expiring. I mean, Dario Saric could be included in some kind of move as a, as a potential younger uh, a trade piece. There, There's an opportunity here to improve the roster as well, and even if you don't, there'll be cap space next offseason. So there's there's chances to really, uh, to, to really improve within this year uh, as well. So... Th- I'm excited to see what what happens with this, and there's there's a chance to to prove that things are different here than they have been over the last few seasons. Before we let you go, Greg, I'm curious to hear just your thoughts on your maybe not a record, so to say, if you have one off the top of your head. But what's the barometer for you this year as far as the team goes? Because Brennan and I had our schedule release show right when it came out. I had 32 wins. I believe Brennan had 34. 
where do you land as far as the record goes or maybe the Mendoza line of where you think the season's a success? Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. 32 to 35 wins is uh, is that range there. If they land in there, I'm happy. I, I walk away satisfied uh, with this year, and, and I think everybody – uh, should at that point, especially if uh, if they're competitive and there's you know eight ten games that uh, that wind up you know as losses maybe, but they're you know one or two possession games where they easily could have uh, could have gone the other way for this team. Uh, that's that's success, and I just uh, entertaining basketball should be uh, it should be the Mendoza line for this group as long as as long as we are entertained this year. Uh, that's that's a huge win because uh, there has not been a lot of entertaining basketball over uh, over the last handful of years. So I know it's a again a low bar to to cross, but that's uh, that's the reality of it. I just want to I want to watch this and not wonder why I'm subjecting myself to watching Suns basketball, but rather, man, I now remember why we're all so passionate about this game and in particular this team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely fair. Um, and yeah, you, you nailed it when you said being being happy and excited to watch and cover this team. I think that's a, a fair expectation to have for sports, right? There's, that's kind of the point. So uh, it's been anything but that, unfortunately, for the last couple of seasons here. So I, I do think, like you said a while ago, that, this, that, that step forward, I think, can sometimes be the hardest one to make you're not the Clippers being able to suddenly get the number one pick and then trade for Chris Paul and now you're Lob City and you make the playoffs for eight years it's it's usually a lot slower than that and uh, this is I think hopefully we're about to see the first of of several steps so we'll see we'll see what that looks like what how big that step is but that's that's definitely I think a a reasonable goal and in the meantime we're uh, happy to have as many people still covering and you do a great job. And you, you also, you guys, I appreciate you're trying to get closer to five days a week. You've, you've done, you've gone to two, which is you're on your way. You got to multiply it by two and a half still, but I, I got uh, a, I got a two year old. I got a two year old at home. It's tough to, it's tough <laughs> to squeeze in two days a week. I don't know. I, I, it's a young man's game to go five days a week. I'm not, I'm not going to lie there. And let's be honest when they start winning, there'll be like 40 sons podcasts. So I, I don't know if it'll matter how many days a week we, uh, we all go. There's going to be, there, there's going to be carnage. even more. Yeah. I mean, there already is. And we're, the Suns are one of the worst teams in the league. So I can only imagine what the coverage will be like when, uh, when they get back to their winning ways. So, but no, I, I, you know, I, I always enjoyed what you guys do from afar. It's uh, it's a labor of love when you, when you go five days a week, like uh, like you guys do and and the time you put into this and, and I know uh, you both do writing too so I'm I'm impressed with the with the efforts and I really appreciate you guys let me uh, let me join you on the show yeah no worries at all Espo appreciate you coming on and if you guys want to follow him on Twitter if you haven't already go ahead and do so at Espo ESPO 